Welcome to episode 168 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is fellow analyst on Joel side. Um, but before we get started, we are a little bit late. I'm actually uh, in Tokyo and I'll be talking about, my first topic will be around the R&D forum that NTT is hosting here. But how was your week, buddy? Good. Just busy. I'm home this week. I'm out of town next week. I'll be at the MediaTek Executive Summit, talking to a lot of MediaTek executives and connecting with the press and talking about all the new things coming out of MediaTek. Yeah, I know. I know you want to talk about that this week as well. We'll just, we'll jump right into it. I've got some, a lot of travel. It's like pushed forward towards the end of the year as well. So this is my last international trip of the year, but I am looking forward to spending time here in Tokyo. And that's a nice segue to my first topic. And so I want to talk about NTT. And they host an R&D forum here in Tokyo every year. Um, now, the online access is available to the general public, but um, to attend in person is by invitation only. So I feel quite privileged that NTT extended that invitation. It is Sunday, um, my time. And I'll be here all next week. And... It's a full five days and the topics are, they're excellent. And so we've talked about NTT in the past. They are a partner of Cisco's. In fact, I learned at Partner Summit, Cisco's Partner Summit that I attended last week in Miami, that they've been partners with Cisco for over 30 years. And so NTT is a huge integrator, uh, but they also have a mobile network um, operation division, NTT Docomo. And so what I'm really looking forward to is um, spending time with the infrastructure folks understanding what they're doing to enable things like private 5G and, and their partnership with Cisco. But also, um, I'll be uh, touring um, a few different Docomo exhibitions. One is about just something around transportation and logistics. And the other involves basically their operation in a sort of real-world smart city scenario. There will also be exhibits that I'm going to be attending as well. And they're going to range... Uh, from satellite, which is something that you're going to talk about here in a few minutes, but also optical networking and a pretty interesting use case around improving 5G throughput using spatial information. So I'm looking forward to it. I do plan to publish an article. It might be on Forbes. It might be on the More Insights and Strategy website uh, to be determined, but uh, that'll be coming out in the next week after I spend time here. But I don't know, were, were you even aware of the R&D forum here? No, but I do think it's interesting because NTT is a very broad company in terms of what they yeah. do. And I like to think of them as like a, they're a data management company. And obviously they own an operator as well in Japan. But it's always interesting to hear about what NTT is doing. And they're the leading of the sphere in a lot of ways for digital transformation in Japan, um, yeah. which is super important for that country. Because as far as I understand, they're only recently started to out to eliminate the use of rubber or wax seals uh, on official government documents. Okay. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on in Japan in terms of modernization. And it seems like NTT is at the head of that, kind of making sure that those efforts are done safely and securely, um, but also in a reliable manner. So that's, that's what I know about NTT. I would say that the areas that I cover, they're not really that active, but I will say that I see them everywhere that I go. And it's quite clear that they have a global presence, even though they're very much a Japani-focused company. 
They are. Yeah, they are definitely, their footprint is global. Recently, they've gone through a, a consolidation. They were uh, operating under many different entities. And so they're trying to unify that to simplify and streamline things, much like they do with their customers as well. Over 330,000 employees. So they're definitely huge. I am definitely looking forward to spending time with them for this coming week. And again, I'll be including those implied in a write-up. But I mentioned satellite. So let's let's talk about, I know you want to talk about Qualcomm. And they're ending their partnership with Iridium. And so that that's pretty big news, man. It is. It's actually really interesting because you and I have actually talked quite a bit about satellite over the last year or so. We even had yeah. some people from MediaTek on to talk about it. And interesting thing is that what it seems like, first of all, the actual news is that Qualcomm is terminating its relationship and agreement with Iridium at effective December 3rd. Um, and what that means is that none of Qualcomm's OEMs really wanted to work with Qualcomm and Iridium to make this possible. Mm-hmm. I was actually at CES this year and they drove us out to the desert and showed us the demo and I have a, a whole recording of it. And basically it seems like there's no interest in this non-standard approach. It seems like we're going to move in the right direction of standards-based solutions, whether that's from a, a Link Mobile or from a, a MediaTek or anybody really. But it's interesting because Qualcomm has a lot of experience in cellular, but also yeah. satellite. And it's really interesting because Iridium stock tanked pretty hard from this. And I've had people reaching out to me to talk to me about it. And it really just seems like the statement I got from Qualcomm was that the OEMs prefer a standard-based solution, which yeah. means adhering to NTN, which MediaTek already does. And I think it's just better for the industry if everybody adheres to the 5GNR NTN standard, whether that's I, the IoT or the actual database solution that's more capable and has better throughput. Because the, the NR solution for this uh, satellite communications can actually do a lot more. Yeah. And I think that just we're going to see a little bit more, co- we're going to see continued consolidation. The one thing that I think may have also hurt Qualcomm was if you look at the the way things are rolling out today, most of the operators are the ones really taking this by the horns and working with a satellite provider and then integrating the OEMs into the solution. I just don't think that OEMs have a way to charge customers for this in a way that's successful as a business. And that's part of the problem I think Qualcomm had as well. The OEMs just, I don't think want to have to manage all that complexity and offer additional services and operators already have the spectrum and Verizon's aligned with Kuiper, T-Mobile's aligned with SpaceX, AT&T is aligned with AST Space Mobile. So there's already these alignments in place. So I think it's really difficult uh, for Qualcomm to get OEMs to ignore what's already happening in the market. And I think this is just a natural progression of, of consolidation and I don't think it's over. I think we're going to see more companies drop off, more or partnerships end. But at the same time, I think we'll see, we'll hear new partnerships be created as a result of this. Um, and I don't know if Iridium will be one of those companies to do that, but it's really interesting because Iridium is based in McLean, Virginia, and so is Satellite IoT or Satellite. Me out to their uh, event that they're having. Can't attend because I'll be with Amazon at AWS, but it's quite clear that Virginia is a very 
central place for a lot of these satellite technologies companies. Yeah. And I actually, I think on a prior podcast, I mentioned the fact that Satellite on T or Satellite, however you pronounce it, I did meet with their CEO and it was a very interesting conversation. I plan to follow up and enhance some further discussions with him at uh, Mobile World Congress Barcelona. But I think from my perspective, this looked like a really heavy lift for the OEMs. And it's better not to have a diverged path and to stay on the standard and, and focus on what 3GPP has done within TNs. And Iridium, I, I don't want to be negative about Iridium, but I really felt like that they were following other leaders in this space. It is what it is, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how things wind out here. But let's move to my second topic. I know you want to weigh in on this as well. We've talked about DISH. Man, there seems to be a lot of trouble in paradise. And recently there was an announcement made that it's uh, DISH Network CEO, Eric Carlson, is resigning November 12th ahead of the uh, the merger with EchoStar. And it just gets me wondering, is the wrong executive exiting? Charlie, I, I think he he's, uh, has a lot to blame here with respect to what the company's done, how it's squatted on Spectrum, and just all the back and forth that you and I have discussed on many podcasts. And the earnings were abysmal. And the, if the stock could take it even further than it, than it has, it did. Basically, revenues for the third quarter of 2023 fell 10% year on year to $3 billion. That's a net loss of $139 million compared with a $412 million net income number earned just a year before. This appears to be a train wreck of epic proportion. So what are your thoughts? I was going to ask you, when, when did they report earnings? Um, earnings were reported, looks like late, was it late September? No, that can't be right. I, I guess I don't have the right figure here, but yeah, within the last several weeks. Yeah. Cause I think what's interesting, if you look at their share price, it was already in the doldrums, like 550 and then it yeah. to 350 last week. So clearly they had pretty disappointing earnings and there's the CEO resigned. So. I oh, November 6th. I'm looking at my notes. Um, yeah. Earnings were announced November 6th, but basically this is their, their fiscal quarter that ended uh, at the end of September. So I'm thinking yeah. there's a lot happening. Like November 6th was when they reported earnings. Yeah. And their stock basically tanked a couple of days before that. So yeah. I, I just think Dish Networks is not getting better. Things are getting worse. And yeah, this week they reported they made off 500 people in Colorado. I was going to say, when you said trouble in paradise, I don't know if I consider Colorado paradise. Fair enough. I know, I know you, you have some property there, but I, do. Um, but, uh, I would say that it's hard. I would also say that maybe Dish HQ is really not a thing in paradise either at this point. No. But, um, I just think it's a train wreck at this point. And I just don't really know what's going on in the sense that like what they're thinking, because they're still like negotiating with T-Mobile about this 800 megahertz spectrum. Yeah. And it's $3.6 billion. There's no way they're going to find the money for this if they're laying no. so many no. people and their share no. price with their current share price. I don't even think they're like worth anything. Right. Bucks a share. Their market cap is less than $2 billion. Yeah. Their market sure. cap is less 
than what they're trying to pay for the spectrum. Yeah. Not, they can't sink in. But yeah. They, there's no way they can get credit facilities based on that. No. Actually, I knew, I knew someone that was part of the DISH team in Colorado, and I won't mention her name, but she is back in Austin. Um, someone that I've known for many years. But You're not the only one so who promising. people to work Yeah. There. Yeah. Things look so promising for so long, but this management shuffle continues. It's reshuffling folks on the Titanic. You know? I, you were going to say reshuffling spectators <laughs> on the Titanic. I knew it. And yeah. you knew where we were going. Yeah, their stock was in in twenty fourteen. Their stock was sixty one dollars. See, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and they are now that's three awesome. three bucks forty four. Yeah, yeah. That's the not, yeah. I just don't. I I really think at this point they just have to be parted off, sold. Honestly, their spectrum is worth more than the company is. Yeah, yeah. it definitely has. It would be a hostile and, takeover. And honestly, yeah. it would probably be better used in someone else's hands. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Better used than someone's hands that has the resources to, to deploy it. it. And to deploy it in an effective manner where their co- the entire company doesn't get hacked and is hobbling yeah. for three to four months. I don't even know if that's like really public knowledge, but the company has been struggling. And it's just one thing after another. And this just really doesn't look good. And I have a hard time being positive. I think we tried. I really do think we tried to be positive about this. We did. Hey, listen, having the fourth operator competition breeds innovation, but they just didn't have the wherewithal to pull it on. No, I don't think so. Let's let's not continue to beat it up. Let's move to your second topic. And you did mention the MediaTek Executive Summit, and you want to talk about Dimensity 9300. Yeah, so they actually did this last year where they pre-announced their flagship chip in advance of the summit. I don't personally love it because it makes it hard for me to like properly connect everything together. But basically, the MediaTek Dimensity 9300 is their new flagship chip. This will be the chip that lands in all of the flagship phones that they win. And hopefully the wins that they get are better than last year, getting more flagship chips outside of China. That's the only place where MediaTek was able to get design wins for the 9200. But I actually have the chip here with me. They sent me one in Lucite. I'll even put it closer to the camera so you can see. That is right there. And yeah, it's a chip. It's a smartphone chip. It's got the latest CPU cores from ARM. The one thing that's really cool about this chip is it's the first chip from MediaTek to have no efficiency cores. So they've ditched Mm. the efficiency core for a very efficient big core paired with even a more high-performance big core. So it's a a four-big core, four-bigger-core configuration. They call it all-big-core CPU, uh, which results in eight cores and some real crazy performance. They're claiming... A 15% increase in single core performance and a 40% increase in multi core performance, which is pretty big. And they're also talking about AI, of course, using their seventh gen AI processor. And they're saying that one's 45% more efficient. And of course, they're adding support for even faster memory, which is necessary to support a lot of these AI workloads. And then they've got a 12 core GPU, which is an Immortalis G720, which is ARM's second generation of ray tracing GPUs which obviously positions them well to compete against Apple. 
And yeah, it's it's just one of those things where this is a very iterative approach. It does have all those same things previous generation modems have had. And yeah, it's it's their best, latest and greatest. And it'll be really interesting to see how it competes against the Snapdragon 8 Gen 3, which came out mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago. I did yeah. shipping and devices. Yeah, that's the summary there. And I'll okay. be at the Summit to, to ask more questions and get more details on it. Cool. So from your perspective, Mensity squarely is their performance solution with dropping those ancillary cores and going in the four big cores, like you mentioned, is this sort of a cost optimization exercise or is it more of a preparing it for next generation local sort of AI capabilities or both? I, I think it's both, but I also think when you look at the configuration, it's very much focused on high performance and there's already going to be phones up there, the Vivo X100 that will have the Dimensity 300 and it will be maybe enough to compete, but I'm not sure it will beat Apple. And yeah, I, I think there's just, there's always going to be an OEM that launches with Dimensity and they've actually expanded Dimensity into their auto business as well, yeah. but which I don't necessarily agree with. I think you should have a separate brand for auto, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I think they're really trying to stay up on the flagship category with the Metsu 9300 and efficiency cores are, I think they're going by the wayside because yeah. if you look at what Qualcomm is doing with their Snapdragon X Elite, which is their PC processor. It also mm-hmm. doesn't have efficiency cores, but it has 12 oh. of the same cores with a few, couple cores that can clock even higher, but they're all effectively the same cores. It just seems like we're moving away from that efficiency core design, which is really funny because there was a time when efficiency cores were a new thing and everybody implemented them because they couldn't find a way to make a big core very efficient. And now big cores are so efficient that we might not actually even need efficiency cores anymore. Yeah. So the improvements in efficiency have dealt away with the efficiency cores. That's interesting. Cool. You're much deeper on the Silicon level with them, so I trust your judgment there, but I like what uh, MediaTek is doing, how they're moving up market, and Dimensity is really providing solutions that come in that premium category. So it's good stuff. Competition is always great. But let's hit my third and final topic. And I want to talk about uh, Celnex, their tower operator. They acquired some private 4G and 5G service capabilities from Edscom, and now they're dumping that, and they're basically mm. selling it to... Bolden Networks, which was previously branded BAI Communication. So, you know, this isn't like a huge surprise for me that this was outside of Cellnex's core competency. You could argue that private networking was adjacent, you know, to what they were doing with powers. But in the, in their press release, Cellnex did state that they want to refocus on their core business and adjacencies within operating towers. And, but also there, there's no surprise, uh, that private, private network adoption has been slow. And we've talked about that on many other podcasts. I think that will change over time. I think a lot of it has to do with the delay that we've seen with standalone deployment and big public mobile networks, but most private networks, especially 5G deployments are, are straight standalone because obviously it's easier to manage the core and uh, the radioactive network infrastructure with one smaller private network deployments. I just thought this was interesting, another sort of bellwether or indicator around 
maybe sell next thought in, in acquiring these assets, they could jump on something pretty quickly and build it pretty quickly. But I think what they probably learned is that this is a private networking is going to be long tail, especially when it comes to 5G and obviously LTE private networks have existed for a very long time. But, and that should change over time, but it's a, it's a long tail play from my perspective. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, or if you want to just jump to your third topic. I do not. All right. Well, let's just jump to your third topic. And this is something that you and I have, uh, have shared, joked about on, on the side, but this is tied to that Las Vegas Grand Prix. And I, I think I've been keeping up with all the news around the fact that ticket prices have been dropping. F1 organizers, this is a funny tweet or an axe or whatever you want to call it. That I think I saw you exchange with someone, or maybe it was a LinkedIn poster. I posted on Facebook. But it was like around, oh, the F1 folks didn't know that it actually gets cold in the, in the Nevada desert in November. Are the, are the wheels falling off all of this? But with that said, you do want to talk about T-Mobile 5G experiences that they're going to be uh, promoting. They're going to be promoting various activations at the event. Yeah, so they have, they have an immersive 360-degree driving experience. They also have, I think there's like a T-Mobile zone at the event. And actually, to your point, I do think ticket prices were obscene. Like, yeah. there were somewhere in the sixteen to eighteen hundred dollar range, and that was the cheapest tickets. I think the F one organization got a little greedy, and people decided, you know what, we're not even going to bother. And as a result, hotel prices have tanked, ticket prices have dropped, and uh, yeah, they just set themselves up for failure as an organization. But T Mobile also has the T Mobile Zone at the Sphere, which what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And they'll have performances there every day. So there's a cool, there's cooler activations that they're doing there. And they're also doing a thing where T-Mobile customers get to ride shotgun with some vehicles. They didn't really say with whom, but I'm hoping that shotgun means like maybe in a, a, a pace car, right? Because there are yeah. no second seats in F1 cars. No. But yeah, there's also a big talk about connectivity. And they actually re- released a press release a couple of days ago. When we originally planned to record this, the Open Signal reported that T-Mobile has 66% 5G availability in the Las Vegas fan experience area, and that Verizon has 22.9% and AT&T has 11%. They yeah, also said that their download speeds are 171 megabits per second, while AT&T and Team Verizon are virtually tied at 113 and 112. And then I think the last one's probably... I don't love this one, but it's called consistent quality. That's another open signal test, but if everybody's in the seventies, so as far as I'm concerned, that's a walk, but clearly T-Mobile is ready to serve the networks. I would love to be there to be able to test that valid and validate that claim. But I do think that T-Mobile is really positioned to be successful for running this race and that there's more likely going to be more happy T-Mobile customers at the race than Verizon or AT&T. Yeah, T-Mobile has invested in a lot of market. We've talked about this, right? So uh, they're supporting the, the remote piloted car service. And I'm so jet lagged right now. This is probably not my best performance. And I'm struggling to remember the company. I should know it. Halo. Remember the Halo. There you go. Um, and also T-Mobile is involved in the city of Las Vegas with um, a lot of smart city timepiece cases. So I think having the Las Vegas Grand Prix 
front and center. And this should really highlight T-Mobile's build out of their 5G assets. And they have their advanced network services there or advanced network solutions deployed there as well. So they're actually deploying inside the Grand Prix pit building. They do Formula One headquarters, which are where the final finish line is. And they're also networking, using network slicing on their standalone network to power point of sale terminals at the event. So fans can pick up whatever gear they want. That's probably very overpriced. If you've been to an F1 race, how overpriced it is. Pick pick up your $50 F1 baseball cap. But I I will mention. That's cheap. That's, yeah, you're probably, that's probably 75 or 100. But I I will mention because I did recall this, you know, with my incredible jet lag. God, when I was at Mobile World Congress Las Vegas, I spent I spent time with with a T-Mobile executive, uh, Parvin Maharjal, and we did we talked about several topics. T-Mobile for Business should be sharing this on their social media channels, but there is a fireside chat between Parvin and I where we talk about some of these things that you're mentioning at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And Just so say, I'll be resharing. I would I wouldn't have been opposed if they asked me to take a look at what's going on, but unfortunately, yeah. I, I will be at the MediaTek Executive Summit, so I won't be able to attend the race. Well, other times, yeah, I couldn't attend it either. I had also a conflict, but hey, buddy, thanks for hanging in there with me, man. I'm struggling here with the jet lag. I've only been here a day, but why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to reach out and provide us insights for a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Will Tech. I'm at Ancho Sock. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week and don't forget to rate and subscribe.